Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Who Am I This Time? with me, David Morrissey. Each episode, I'm talking to performers from film, television and theatre about one significant role in their career. It might not always be the role they're most famous for, but in each one I'll be trying to find out about the preparation, the excitement and the sense of nostalgia that goes with any key role in an actor's lifetime. A deal actor's career could have gone in a very different direction before he made the decision to train at the famous The Actors Studio in New York City. He has made several stage appearances, including Guildenstern and the Young Vic's 2011 production of Hamlet, but is perhaps best known for his television and film appearances. He was nominated for a BAFTA for Best Supporting Actor for his role in Channel 4's Utopia before winning a BAFTA for the single drama Murdered by My Father. Following this interview, he also received a BAFTA Film nomination for Best Actor in a Leading Role for Ali and Ava. But in 2010, he appeared in Chris Morris's groundbreaking film, Four Lions, and I was delighted to catch up with him and talk about it at the beginning of this year. Hello and welcome to the show. And my guest this week is the wonderful Adil actor. And we're going to be speaking about the part of Faisal, uh, or Fazel, I think it is, isn't it? In Four Lions. Yeah. Which was directed by Chris Morris, written by Chris Morris and Sam Bain and Jesse Armstrong, no less. And also starring Riz Ahmed, uh, Kayvan Novak and Nigel Lindsay. So, and then it was came out in 2010. That's right, isn't it? It sounds yeah, a while ago now. And Asha, and Asha Ali, the fourth uh, lion. Asha Ali, yes, I've got that here as well. I was only, I was only half a lion. Half <laughs> <lion>. <laughs> I was only halfway through, halfway and, through the film. Yeah, go on. And how did it come about? I mean, how? I mean, it's quite. It's a film that has. I guess you would call it a satirical look at uh, guys who are radicalized and stuff, but it's, it's written by Chris Morris. His background is sort of satirical television, yes. current affairs, yeah. brass eye, the day-to-day stuff like that. How did it come yeah. about for you? Just a sort of normal audition process. Um, and then obviously, uh, being so excited to even being asked to audition for it, knowing that Chris was a part of it. Um, and then, uh, and then that was it, really. Just but when you say normal uh, audition process, I mean, did, did, yeah. was there a script? I mean, did you go in with lines, or or was there a difference? Did he want you yeah. to improvise in there? It or? was all. It was all. It was all scripted. So it's from the audition onwards. It was all sort of scripted. But um, you soon find out, and this is sort of like we're fast forwarding a bit on the conversation <laughs> a little bit, but just. Draw me back in if I go. Mm-hmm. But you sort of figure out very quickly with very talented people who have this sort of very sort of um, very sharp satirical eye on topics. Jesse Armstrong, Sam, and Jesse being, and then you know Chris being a part of that sort of group of people. You suddenly realise that there's opportunity to lift stuff off the page a little bit. Which adds to because I think a, a, an important part of satire maybe is sort of a human quality to it as well in equal measures. It has to be smart and funny writing, but at the same time it has to have that sort of human sort of connection to it. So I I, I, I sort of learned quite quickly while when we were on set that um, there was opportunities just to be a bit silly, mm-hmm. um, but the invitation was like. These really smart people going, oh, we're going to deal with this really heavy topic. But actually, um, the more silliness you can give it, mm-hmm. the better sort of thing. Yeah. And what and did think- you know about the project before you went in? Was it a general meeting or had you read the whole script? Did you know what character you were up for? No, I didn't. I didn't know any of that. It was just sort of it was a sort of normal audition process. And then 
from that point on, everything was kind of under wraps. Um, uh, I even remember getting when the call sheet and the call sheet on the on the front of the call sheet it had like a um, a sort of a kid's birthday message on the front of it. They were so sort of the top. It was so sort of concealed and secretive that. Um, only the people doing it knew what was going on. And um, it was all sort of under this sort of shroud of secrecy a little bit, because I think maybe there was thought that the subject matter might be a little bit, um, yeah, it just could be a little bit too much for, for some mm. people. But um, um, And where yeah, were you before, was, before the audition? Where were you, where would you describe yourself career-wise? What... Had you been doing theatre as well as TV and film? I mean, yeah. this is it's an independent movie, but it's an independent movie with a bit of clout. Had you been in this world before? No, I hadn't. I had sort of um, been done a bit of theatre. And this is my first um, sort of job, really. I mean, I would say this is my first time that I was acting in front of a camera in in my in my understanding of what jobs you know my mm-hmm. understanding of what jobs are now it was the first time like looking back on my career it was the first time i would say oh that was where it sort of started for me mm-hmm. it was a it was i was um acting alongside because k van was sort of doing phone jacker at the time and then and riz was he just done um a thing called brits on channel four i don't know if I, you remember that do, it was yeah. like he had he had a sort of quite a a blossoming TV, uh, his TV career was sort of kicking in. And he'd done Shifty like, by then. Has it, has Shifty, it, that was yeah, right. Yeah, 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 he'd done Shifty by then. So uh, I just remember at that at that time being alongside people who were legitimately, I felt, you know, actors. And, but did um, that intimidate you at all? Sure. Yeah, that was, that's what I was going to come on to. <laughs> so the actual memory of doing the film um I can't, it felt a bit like a fever dream, you know, it felt like I was going, I was just running on this other sort of energy and this other sort of adrenaline that I was just wanted to make sure that I was doing it as best I could. And, and, uh, you know, trying to make, and definitely trying to get Chris to laugh behind the cameras in as, in as much as I, I could, mm-hmm. but that's quite a mem. It's quite an important thing to remember. Um, especially now, um, we just finished something together. We just, you know, Sherwood. Um, and it's important to remember that now because there are, even now in moments, uh, you know, I'm 41 now. And so I've been doing it for a fair few years. Um, and so it's important to remember those moments and just to, when you feel like it's getting out of your reach a little bit, when the adrenaline starts rushing and everything starts to get a little bit like out of control, just to remember to um, take your time. Um, and I, I'm thankful for, for that job just because it was a good lesson in that, you know, in the jo- I just sort of take that experience on with me and, and other jobs that I do because um, there's just chunks of things that I remember, but there's so much more I wish I did remember. I was just so <laughs> nervous and so sort of panicked to do the job well that I can't, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and you said you'd been in the theatre before then. So yeah. obviously in theatre we have four or five weeks rehearsal. We tend not to get that on film and television. Did you have any rehearsal? Was there any sort of camaraderie building exercises between the four or five of you? Was there any sort of, did you have any improvisation not, or anything like that? Or rehearsal? Not, like, not, not, not like exercises <laughs> as such. I think what we what we sort of realised and how Chris described it to us was it doesn't matter if it's a bunch of jihadis or, you know, young Asian men coming together, you know, trying to perform jihad, or if it's a bunch of young men trying to get together and organise a night out or young men trying to do, you know, when you get a group of lads together, it's always going to turn to. I don't know if you can bleep this bit out. It's always <laughs> going to turn. It's always going to turn to shit at some point, you know. With all those voices, like, no, we should be doing this there. We should be doing that there. We should be doing this over. And 
he framed it in that way for us. And then we suddenly had an in. We suddenly mm-hmm. had this idea of going, oh, they're just a bunch of boys, misguided boys with like this sort of misguided sort of creative energy, you know. And whether it's like that or something else, they, you know, the, the point is, is that um, they were in it together and they were trying to do this thing that was a really, really bad idea. Yeah. And, um, and it's, th- there's an inherent sort of comedy in that. Whenever you get a bunch of boys together trying to do something, it normally turns a bit, a bit bad. But so we didn't really, uh, we sort of um, zoned into that, really. We zoned into this idea. Like so did you doing. talk about backstory at all? Did you ever talk about this is how we grew up, this is where I grew up, this is what, you know, anything like that? Um, uh, Riz had sort of quite a full backstory, story, I would say, in that he had an understanding of his character way more than I felt maybe a lot of a lot of us did. Um, Nigel, not so much because Barry was was based on a real person. It was um, um, Barry was based on a fella who used to be a neo-Nazi, but then. Um, was trying to convert people uh, into uh, was was trying to infiltrate these Muslim groups, but got so deep inside the infiltrated infiltration that he converted himself into Islam, mm. which is quite funny in itself. Like this really sort of right wing neo Nazi guy becomes even more jihadi and Muslim than um, you know most jihadists. So there was that. So it was quite a solid backstory with him, and I think Riz. He he did come to the he did come to the the film with quite a well rounded backstory. Even so much as like these sort of Asian swear words that are in it as well. He just sort of like riffed off these things, and which is how um, boys and young men from that that's that's sort of their vernacular. You know, they sort of just they sp- they speak in English, and then suddenly they'll start using these Punjabi swear words that their mum and dad would use to come back to the English sort of thing. Um, what about Fazl? Did you have a backstory for him? I didn't really. I think I just realised that he was um, someone that was just trying to fit into this group as best he could. And... Looking back on it, I've never really been asked that question, but looking back on it, I think if you there's always that stock character in each group, mm-hmm. which is the which is the kid who's like on the outside looking in, but doing everything he can just to be in, in the group, you know. Mm-hmm. Um trying really hard just to sort of belong to this sort of like misguided group of young men. And peer um, pressure and all that as well, isn't there? It's peer like, pressure, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And but then again, it just, I remember there's moments um, where I thought I was going to be doing something on script and then Chris would shout something from behind the camera, which would feel like sort of incongruous to how something should. So, for example, there's this scene in it, which kind of when it first came out, it was a 12 bottles of bleach scene. Mm-hmm. That sort of at a time before things could go viral kind of went a little bit viral because it was like it was filmed on this sort of shaky camera this vhs camera and then you know and i remember in that scene um there was a point in which i was talking about different accents so as an actor i was using a northern irish accent i was using all these different accents or whatever and then chris shouted from behind the camera no don't do it use your own accent but pretend you think it's a different <laughs> act and it was just this effortful thing that this guy was doing which he thought was like an accent that he was putting on but it was actually no different to a normal a normal a normal accent which is hilarious yeah and when and when i got that when i when he did that i was like oh i know i on some level i couldn't articulate it and i thought oh i know what we're doing here now right it's sort of like we're being with with this is a very very weighty issue but if you look at the film itself a lot of it, a majority of it, is kind of slapsticky and silly. It and is, like, but you, it is that. But having just seen it recently again, you care for all of them so much, yeah. and that's such a a wonderful thing to pull off, given its subject yeah. matter. That you yeah. really are drawn to all of them. Yeah, um, there's a scene 
where Riz goes and sees his wife and he's not allowed yes. to have the goodbye that he needs to have because there's two policemen there. So he sort of talks to her in code and it's it's heartbreaking. It's a wonderful, yeah. wonderful scene. Yeah. And I think you all pull that off brilliantly well. I mean, that thing of Chris shouting from behind the camera or giving you instruction, in a way, it's it makes you brave, doesn't it? <clears throat> like someone is watching you sometimes i get a feeling on set sometimes that a director isn't watching us or you know mm. they're, they're watching something else so to have the director that close to you and observing you it must give you great freedom freedom and performance yeah i think what you're describing there is like you feel care from mm-hmm. the person who is like uh framing you or looking at you in a particular way and that's and look at you know it's so nice to have this conversation because you know, we never really have an opportunity to look back and see, oh, well, what did work in that thing? And I think it was that. I think it was the fact that you felt from Chris that he was with you on some level in the performance, that you weren't, even though you were being sort of filmed and he was behind the camera, that he there was sort of, um, he was looking at the details of the things that you were doing and inviting it to be more funny, you know? Mm. And... Um, and once you're sort of given that invitation, it sort of releases this whole other other energy that you don't even realise you have, you know. It's mm. like this thing where you're sort of being more than yourself or something. And and yeah, I think it I think it is that. And I've had, you know, when the when jobs go well and um you feel as though it, that that's that's the thing which always brings you back again i think mm-hmm. knowing that people really care for the, the for the details of the performance that you're giving and also trying to add value to it in some way you know as you get more experienced as an actor are you able to look after yourself on a film set and ask for the, it's a hard to ask for care from a director who doesn't care, you know, but are you able to ask for the things you need in order to create what you need, you know, you, you need for the scene? Um, is it, is it easier now, the more experienced you are to say, look, can we have a bit of quiet around here? Or can you mind if we just run this a few times before? Is, are you able to do that today in a way that you couldn't when you first started out? Yeah. <clears throat> so interesting. Um, Maybe I can answer this question with an experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a, there was, I did a film there called um, Victoria and Abdul, and it was a Stephen Frears directed film. Um, and uh, I had uh, had a bit to do in it. You know, there was a definite arc, and this bit was the bit where um, I play. A, a, sort of a, a sort of manservant in it who's friends with Abdul, one of the main characters. They ha- have a sort of death scene. He dies of tuberculosis. So um, when you don't, as an actor, if you don't have, if you're not sort of one of the main characters, you really sort of mark out your sort of story beats for yourself. You go, okay, well, this is the bit where we the character gets introduced. This is the bit where we make someone laugh. And this is the bit where he dies, you know, the TB sort of, sort of death scene or whatever. And you can build that up in your head a little bit. Because if, if you only got a lot, that that little bit means so much. And you go, oh, this is going to be the thing. And so I remember from the from the morning onwards, everything was going a little bit wrong. <laughs> sort of like the driver was got picked up and then the driver was sort of like, it was a little, a little bit late, but that had a knock-on effect to the makeup, which had a knock-on effect to me being rushed into the thing. And then it was like there and I remember just to fast forward the story I remember I just was just like sat there and I was like dressed in a shawl and shivering with TB and I was I remember my my fist being really gripped because I was like oh this is the what this is the bit I was waiting for my job and um this lovely sound lady came in and was like could you just move your hand from there to there because you're blocking the microphone and I, I was like this is my moment to, and and as soon as she said that, I just went, I just released the grip I had, and I just relaxed, 
And suddenly when I relaxed, I realized I was in the room, you know, I was in the room with this lovely sound lady who I'd been working with for a very long time. And I was surrounded by all this crew and all the, all the people who were all trying to make the same thing happen, you know? And so um, it's an interesting question. And, and I'm wondering whether it's a question, I mean, maybe we can expand on mm. it more, but I wonder if it's a question of sort of letting things in and mm. knowing, oh, well, that's sort of the nature of, it can't, it can never be perfect. And so then you wave that moment goodbye or, or whether it's a sort of situation of going, oh no, I, you know, there is a way of this working. And yeah, I think there is a, I think there is a way of, I mean, you know, I look at people like Sparks or, you know, you're talking about that sound woman there, you know, they will ask for what they need up to a point, you know, they will mm. say, there's a, there's a airplane flying over. We need to do it again. Or the spark will say, well, we need different lights here in order to do what we need. So I always think sometimes as an actor, you've got to put yourself in the crew bit, but ask for what you need to do your bit. You know, I always yeah. think when the minute they shout action, I think that's my time. So I, I, yeah, that's yeah. from action to cut, that's my time. And I can, yeah. you know, I can talk to people around that, but that's yeah. when I go to work. But yeah. I think most crews understand that. But we can sometimes get a little shamed. That's very true. About what we're asking for, yeah. like we're holding yeah. things up, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, hang on a minute. Yeah, maybe I need this to be able to get the words out in the right order and do yeah. my my job. Yeah. yeah, there is there is that. Um, yeah, I I think I, I think that, but I think when you're around the right, if you're right, if you're around the people who are sort of all have that sort of collective endeavor. Yes, then I think that's a kind of, and I I don't know if this is a way. Of, backing out of your question a little no. bit but i think it's a kind of felt thing as well mm. which is something that i rely on more than stuff that you have to sort of um I th- it, oh my god this is me really pushing the conversation if my wife was here she'd be like shut up but <laughs> it's a kind of it's a kind of um in the right way there's a kind of spell or there's an atmosphere that you walk uh, in yeah to sometimes if it's um and i had that recently with the film that i just finished the sort of um, it was Ali and Ava, yeah, and a sort of, and there was an, there's a sort of atmosphere that you walk into that if you do have to say something, then it kind of breaks the sort of the atmosphere a little bit, you know. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah, you, you do I, have to be alive to all that. Uh, I think also, and this brings me back to uh, Four Lions, is, is the oh, schedule. Yeah. The schedule is really important. Because it takes time for you to develop that magic or that sort of mm. feeling because you've got to get to know people. So sometimes you'll look at the schedule and your big scene <laughs> is on the fir- is on your first day or something, your first yeah. morning. And it's just really hard sometimes to create that magical feeling, you know, even in sometimes in a relationship in a film, you know, you'll walk in and you'll shake hands with the, the person who's playing your partner or whatever, and you've never met them before, and then you go to work. But as yeah. actors, we tend to be able to, you know, we, we do do that, don't we? It's quite an yeah. odd thing. Yeah. I, 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 I sort of felt this when I was watching you doing Sherwood, and it made me think about it quite a bit, like that sort of, that nature, that sort of quick way in which you have to do a scene and there might not be a lot of time. And there's something about um, thinking fast, faster than you would have to as a, you know, if you're going to go out and buy the milk or something, Mm -hmm. you have to sort of, there's a sort of adaptability, which some people might see as where the skill lies, where you have to quickly adapt Mm -hmm. and suddenly you're in it and you have to suddenly it, it sort of in, in a moment be very present and open and available and also be trying to excavate some kind of like emotional truth or something. You have to do a lot of things very, very quickly. And um, I think maybe that's where, that's where the skill, the skill lies. And when I'm sort of it, attuned to that a little bit there's not much i need to say to anyone you know when we do when we do telly 
we can work very quickly. And I presume on Four Lions, you know, independent films will work quickly. Is it different when you're doing Victorian Abdul or The Big Sick? When in those big movies, yeah. is there is there sort of more time? And is that helpful or not? Yeah, sure. It's, it's such a mystery, isn't it? It's like sometimes you get the best stuff at the end of the day. But, you know, it's that old thing where it's like, we've only got two minutes, do the thing, and then you suddenly do it. And then occasionally that becomes the main thrust of the performance or the main thrust of the whole film. It's just like this thing that you did as an aside. Um, and more time is really helpful on the, you know, it's, I get really annoyed with myself in these sorts of conversations because like I'm evading, uh, sort of no. evading the question a little bit, but it's sort of, there's so many other things that are um, work in conjunction with the idea of time and more time, you know, mm. it's suddenly like, you um, might be even like the thing that we just recently did, you're there and the camera's running and I had to, <laughs> had to do a train, so I had to ride the train. And it's just suddenly seeing how the light hits the trees when you're riding the train just changes the sort of, um, what you're what you're sort of emotionally expressing in, in the camera, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's all sort of it, for me. It ha does have this sort of mysterious alchemy to it that mm -hmm. um, I've learned now to just be present with, or something, or um, uh, uh, you know. I, I think what you what you attune yourself to is to know a moment when it's there. And then embrace and then grab it because it might not be there the next time. You just go, okay, there it is. And then you just ride on that wave for a bit until, you know. And does it help you in that scenario? Does it help you the more work you do before you arrive on set? I mean, are you an actor who does, I mean, you were talking about Four Lions, which was a different experience because it was one of your first experience, but are you an actor who does a backstory or research or do you do character work before you arrive on set in any way? What are you like in the, in, in, in the weeks up, running up to a job? I've got, I've got a way of answering this question again, talking about an experience that I had at, at drama school. And I went to a very methody drama school, like the actor studio. And it was, um, and they did this thing called the coffee cup exercise. I don't know if you've heard of this, where you have to, sensorily recreate a coffee cup and you take, you know, you drink it, you hold the heat, you know, the heat of it and everything. But you do this for weeks and it goes, <laughs> 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 you keep, and you keep doing it to the point where something really infantile kicks in in your head when you're in the midst of this process. You're just like, just give me a cup of coffee. Do, do you know what I mean? And if I took that kind of uh, teaching out into the world with me and sort of working TV and film, there's an impracticality to that that um, um, doesn't really work. So um, I think now I just sort of go on a case-by-case -case sort of basis. I just allow my inquiry to lead how much work I want to do on a particular project. Mm -hmm. And if my inquiry sort of leads me to going, actually, I'm going to find out about that particular time and that at, at that moment and how people sort of dress and da, 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 then it becomes this effortless sort of thing that I've done. And it's like the, um, the um, scaffolding that I take into the, the job with me. Um, and yeah, that sort of preparation can kind of bubble up in a moment as well when you least expect it. You're like, oh, that reminds me of that thing when somebody's when somebody's saying something, you know. Um, yeah, but I, yeah. I try not to have a hard and fast rule about it. I just sort of go, okay, if if I'm leaning in towards wanting to know more about a certain thing, then I kind of do. And, you know, who knows? I might work as hard as, like, sort of that traditional kind of methody way of, like, living the character or whatever else if the part was there and it let you know i had the instinct to do that yeah. um but as but right now it's like just i just sort of look at the script and go yeah i'm gonna find out more about that but your training was in new york because you went to drama school in new york didn't you yeah 
Yeah. Have you, in your career and before then and going to New York, do you see a difference between an American style of acting and a British style of acting? I think it's all sort of mixed in there now, isn't it? Like there used to be that sort of quite strict demarcation of what was American and what was English, you know, the sort of marathon man sort of yeah. chat, you know. Um where if nobody knows about it, um, D- um, Dustin Hoffman was, uh, everybody's got a different version of the story, but he was, ru- he was running until he got knackered or he was screaming until his voice got hoarse. And Laurence Olivier just sort of turned around and said, try acting, my darling, or something. He was just yeah. like, try acting, you know. Yeah. And so there, back in the day, I think there was, there was that. Um, and I think now it just feels as though people do whatever works, mm-hmm. you know, and they sort of draw from lots of different things and schools, you know. Um, but like, for example, for um, in, in a lot of British drama schools, the emphasis is, is very much on theatre and, and you know, right, being a right. theatre actor, whereas in your drama school, you went to New York, did you, was it, what was the, it wasn't Juilliard, was it? It was New York. It was Actor Studio. Actor Studio. Yeah, yeah. Was the emphasis more on film and television and camera acting or just character stuff? Not really. It was just, it was just more about, um, uh, well, the whole Stanislavski thing was really about, and this is what I was taught, was, there was the, there was stage acting, and then there was a way of uh, conveying an emotional truth on stage where you could personalize stuff, like mm-hmm. draw it into your own personal experience, and that's essentially all they were sort of doing. They were just saying whether it's TV, film, or theatre, there's a sort of emotional truth with which you sort of like work from. That is the source of like all the stuff that you, which is all the stuff that you do. But weirdly, I think we can get um, we can get sort of drawn into semantics because I just sort of feel like most of the people that leave drama school have a sort of understanding of what that is. UK drama schools have an understanding of what that is anyway. You know, I mean, if I look at somebody like Mark Rylands on 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 stage, it's like it doesn't matter if you're sitting all the way at the back or if you're right at the front. There's something happening. In something happening to both of those people, you know, and that's, yeah. and that's, um, that's all, all that is. Yeah. I think but the method just, method can, the method can have a bad press, can't it? Sure. There's something yeah. around what some people think of as method acting as this selfish sort of people acting in a vacuum and they're, they'll come to work with all their own sort of stuff that they're going to do. And regardless of what the other actor is doing in front of them, they're still going to do what they're right. going to do. Right. And yeah. that's not my, it's not been my experience of working with method actors and it's not my experience of method itself. No. Where do you think, where do you think the selfishness comes from? Where do you think that sort of uh, idea of the method comes from? I think it came from the, it came from, it started off as just going, okay, well, how do we uh, get get a technique where if you're on stage, you can inf- um, invest that in some sort of emotional truth. And that started way back with Stanislavski and the, you know, the new theater, new theater and all that sort of stuff. And then through the sixties and seventies, it became this very navel gaze, this sort of se- uh, quite selfish, selfish. It just became this thing, which was very self-orientated. So it was like, Every moment had to be felt before you could move on to the next moment, irregardless of the context and the person that was in front of you or whatever. We'll be back with more chat after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com 
Hi, you're listening to Who Am I This Time with me, David Morrissey. Now, back to this week's episode. Um, but my understanding of it, my experience of it, a little bit like yours, was that those guys, like those, you know, I, I was in, I went to the actor studio, the actual studio itself, which is in, in the, you know, in the 40s in sort of 40th street sort of in Manhattan and I was and then you had these old like Harvey Keitel would sort of conduct a, a thing you know and you'd just be sat in the fit sat in the audience and he would break down the scene and my understanding of it was like from that experience and getting it from those guys occasionally you know Ellen Birdstein was another one who was sort of wow. there it was it was yeah it was it was something that you didn't show lots of people and you it was something more, um, it was, it was personal to you. It was your, it was your method. It was mm-hmm. your technique. And it was something that, um, you had to believe in before other people did, you mm-hmm. know? And there's a sort of tendency now I feel with the idea of the method is that it's sort of advertising the idea of that's what you're doing. And if other people buy into it, then it sort of legitimizes it for you in some way. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a, there's an important difference there which is no you you've done it all before you yeah. like if re- if somebody's really sort of doing it I, I i would i would expect you wouldn't notice them doing it in a way yeah and also i mean uh, you know you talk about the olivier hoffman thing and that's a very famous story a bit like the olivier and marilyn monroe stories in and the, the prince and the showgirl but actually when you read about olivier he was such he was sort of embodying the method really i mean he, he really he, yeah he had yeah, yeah. well he, you know he had great technique but yes. god he, he would really do lots of research he would suffer for his roles he would really you know put himself out there you know it was he, he seemed to have this uh he was the you know, it, it was the opposite of the method as people would understand it. But when you see him, gosh, he really did put everything into his role. So it was, mm. it's quite an odd sort of thing. And I, yeah. I often think about that thing with Hoffman that probably Olivia was thinking, we're not going to be able to do the scene today if you carry on shouting <laughs> like that. You, you know, you're going to have a heart attack yeah. and we won't be able to do the scene. So there's something yeah. else inside that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. To come back to um, Four Lions, did you have any misgivings about doing it was there any nervousness about tonally or did you just put yourself in the hands of chris and jesse and sam and go this is we're with these people and they, they will honor yeah. it. you know you yeah. didn't you didn't worry in any way about the, those characters coming across in any sort of negative sense yeah i think there was a little bit of yeah, I was a bit worried about that. And obviously Sam and Jesse were peep show guys, so we just sort of knew that they were just comedy geniuses in their own right. Chris, obviously, like he's amazing. So we sort of knew that the comedy aspect of it was going to be looked after. But you're right, like how is this quite loaded issue going to be dealt with? And um, for me, it was the fact that Riz, who has consistently been... Um, outspoken about lots of different issues, you know, from that point, even till now, you know, for the the fact that he was doing it, I thought, well, I can't be, it can't be be that bad. You know what I mean? So he was, he was almost an endorsement for you going onto the film. I think so. Yeah. Because he, he, however he is like, you know, whatever he's doing now, like you speaking in parliament and mm. sort of talking out about sort of um, people like uh, Muslim, portrayals of Muslims in like film and TV and stuff like that. He was doing back then, you know, maybe not as big because he didn't have as, as big a platform. And I just looked at it, I just thought, well, if he's doing it, then I can kind of sort of be shoulder to shoulder with him in a way right. and like, and yeah. just sort of do that, do you know, just made me. And you really get that watching it. You get from all of you, you get this authenticity and care and real sort of rounded people, you know, which I think, you know, is so wonderful to watch it as the film. It draws you in, in a way that is, you know, because I think one of the dangers 
sometimes when I watch certain films is that the actors themselves are commenting on their character. Yeah, right. They're slightly right, yeah. they're slightly outside of their character, going, "He's doing this, I'm not doing this." You know, mm. all, these are the type of things he says, but I would never say that. And they're sort of apologising for their character before uh, before they've we've got a chance to see them in a way. But this film doesn't have that. It just it really is it's very real in, in many ways. That's what makes it outrageously funny, but that is satire as well. Yeah. It's an interesting thing about this satire. I mean, it's been brought up in had a lot of four-line conversations with people my age. And, you know, sometimes it sort of develops into a conversation like, well, where is, where is satire at the moment, you know? Yeah. And I, right at the start, you were men- mentioning Jesse and... So he's gone on to write Succession and stuff like that. And it just sort of drew, brought up a thought of going, there's something about the right balance of a, a really important issue alongside being a bit fucking silly with mm-hmm. it and also um, a sh- human characters. And if all those things are working, because when I think about... Um, the bits in succession that really draw me in. And I don't know if it's, maybe there is a sort of thin thread of commonality between like the four lines and the sort of succession type of world when they're sort of improving and being a bit silly or whatever. There's something about, there's something about that, te- that, that terrain, which is like really satisfying to mm. watch, you know, because yeah, I really hear it in that Ro- in Roman's voice in Succession. Yeah. I really see that line between something like Four Lions and his character and his biting sort of wit as he comes in. I mean, you know, Riz's character really does have that, particularly towards Nigel Barry. You know, he he cuts him down so brilliantly well. Yeah. Do you think it could be made now? Do you think the film could be made now? That's, and that was another, con- yeah, I'm getting to these sort of conversations as well with like people. It's like, maybe um, it, there's a, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? Because it's the idea of um, would people be, feel comfortable with that subject matter being told by, you know, Sam, Jesse or Chris, mm-hmm. you know, or, or would it have to be, or would it give it some sort of legitimacy or more legitimacy if it was written by, you know, somebody who had a direct experience within the Asian community? You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's these sorts of, but I, I don't know, man, I'm like, it's, it's really tricky because we're, it's, it's, we're on the sort of cusp of answering these really difficult questions now. And, and I, I still feel like, like Chris did a lot of research on it and he knew those characters through and through, even from so far as like, um, um, dancing, dancing in the moon, you know, that song that yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the back, which is the cut, you know, cover. And I it's like, that. and it's true because there are like these Asian, there were these Asian lads, you know, at that time who had this really strange, taste like there used to be a song like that in their in the playlist you know right. and i was like i get that i know that sort of like do you remember that um that band the lighthouse not lighthouse it was, lighthouse family it was a lighthouse family yeah, yeah. So. it's like in that that, that kind of yeah. like very soft inoffensive mm-hmm. song that would be in a playlist in in this group of lads who are quite militant minded uh-huh. and go, and it was like, there was a sort of attention to that detail and the sort of level of research that he did, where if he was questioned, he, you couldn't, he couldn't really put a foot wrong because he knew his our character, knew his subject matter through and through. I love that scene when you're driving to London or no, you're, you don't drive to London, but they're driving to London and it just cuts to them just banging that song out and just it's just so hilarious and it's so beautiful full of joy funny, even yeah. though they're driving to this terrible thing it's just this full of joy which is yeah, amazing yeah. yeah how are you watching yourself how were you when you saw it for the first time what was that experience like for you and how are you in general about watching yourself yeah i find it quite i find it uncomfortable i find it really hard not to sort of be overly critical about things um, but with age, with, now I've done it for a bit of time now, I can, I have this sort of ability to sort of 
wave it goodbye almost. You know what I mean? There's like a thing of going, you know, we just have to say, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, and after it, because otherwise you just sort of get get hypercritical about about it all. Um, but um, I'm getting better and, you, with that. and usually, you know, when you're watching something, you're already working on something else. So it slightly feels so long ago, and your your head is now, you know, we you can't see you now, our, our listeners, but you are quite bearded up for your new job. So, <laughs> right, you know, yeah. it's like you're, you move on to the next thing quite quickly, don't we, really? That, that's true. We do. We do. But I, I, it's a, it is a learned thing that I had to do. I had to learn how to sort of, well, we all do, you know, just go easy on ourselves. We did the best that we could on that on that role and then that yeah. sort of finished, you know. But you studied as a lawyer, didn't you? When are you going to be a lawyer? Yeah. So yeah, how so, did acting yeah. jump on you? So... I was, um, so I had quite a sort of traditional upbringing mm-hmm. to a certain extent. My dad was a lawyer himself and his dad was a lawyer and it was sort of um, kind of something that I was push, sort of pushed into a little bit in a sense that I needed to get a professional degree of some sort and lawyer was the best one and I, and that's basically how that how that happened but all the while, sort of during that time, I was doing National Youth Theatre and I just loved films. Um, but were you doing I, National Youth Theatre secretly? Didn't, isn't it true that your mum took you there, but your dad didn't know? That's right. So yeah. when did, when, tell, tell me about the conversation where you said, Dad, I'm going to be an actor. How, what was that like? Yeah, right. So <laughs> I, um, and I don't know if, yeah. Okay, so I think I said something like, like a young sort of 15-year-old deal said to his dad something like, I'm a born actor and I'm a very dramatic. Uh-huh. And it's like quite curmudgeonly, quite sort of, yeah, angry Asian man. I was just sort of going, I'm a born actor and that's exactly what I'm going to do. And um, it started a whole sort of argument of the pros and cons of acting. Um, and but, but at that time, I, I loved it. You know, I was doing National Youth Theatre and we're doing all these device plays and stuff like that. And I found a group of young actors who had similar but different experiences, you know. And I just went, I just thought to myself, this is, this is, it really this is I'll, I'll be happy if I could just stay here forever you know yeah. in amongst these people and so then I did the law degree and then my girlfriend at the time was auditioning for that drama school in New York right and then um she was like do you want to come with me and I was like oh, no, I've got to do this law degree got to finish it off you know and she was like oh I'll just come so I went and then <laughs> did that and then came back here yeah That is amazing. Yeah. And is uh, I mean, for me, I mean, my dad passed away when I was a kid, but with my mum, she sort of, she eventually, she loved me being on the TV. Yeah. But she was worried that it was an insecure profession, that it was, you know, that there was no sort of, there's stories of actors who worked a lot in their 30s and never worked in their 40s or what you know she was worried yeah. about that i mean do you yeah. do you have that still do you, do you have your parents accepted you as an actor now it was of a time where like you had to try and guarantee some sort of security for yourself and your kids because it was so precarious you know it's so, it was such a precarious job and sort of industry to go into that that probably it made them a bit fearful and all they wanted was the best for you. And they wanted you to make sure that, you know, you had something solid to sort of fall back on. So I, I, I completely, I completely. And also it, was, it was completely yeah. unknown to them. It wasn't a profession that they sure. had any idea about. So, you know, your dad yes. being a lawyer, he knows what being a lawyer is. He knows how to right. help you. He knows how to advise you. Whereas when you say, I want to be, you know, something completely out of his realm of knowledge. Yeah. You know, there's a sense of how do I help him? I, I've got no tools to help. That's him. exactly right. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 and of that generation of man, if you can't help someone, 
then you're kind of it makes you feel a bit emasculated in some way or powerless you know yeah and um i i definitely feel that and and now we have this sort of like quiet understanding between us where like his pride how he communicates pride mm-hmm. is is not it's not overt in any way it's not like we're not gonna be there's not gonna be a slow motion scene of us running into each other's arms but um i don't i don't mind that because the way that he does show pride is very specific to him and it's actually means a lot you know when he does sort of extend that sort of hand of like acknowledgement and sort of goes you know i remember we did um we, I did a, a, I did Hamlet. I played Guildenstern in Hamlet, and uh, Benny Wong played Laertes. Mm. And it was the first time my dad, my dad came and saw me on in the theatre. Um, and then we we're driving home because I was at, at work theatre actor, so I was living at home at the time. My dad, and we're driving home, sort of quietly. And my dad's in the passenger seat. Mum's driving. And I'm like just waiting, just waiting to see what he has to say. And he goes. Who was the guy who played Laertes? Like, oh, he's a mate of mine, Benny Wong. He goes, God, he was amazing. <laughs> like that. <laughs> and then, and then there's like enough time. He goes, yeah, you were good too. Hey, that's yeah, all right. That, you got that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Thank God the drive was long enough for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like he, he sort of needed, he needed to acknowledge Benny. Yeah. Before, but, but it was still like, yeah, it meant a lot. Yeah, it meant a lot. And what about, I mean, we all have nerves and we have reviews and stuff. Uh, do you read reviews and how do you cope with nerves? Are they, are they, do you ever think about the critic before you go to work? Or Nerves are an interesting one. Now, I sort of feel like um, I did a little thing with, Judy Dench and she sort of says it's like the fuel for stuff and I always used to say that but never really understand it and now I'm sort of getting my head around it a little bit um if you can sort of um use it in a way that can sort of focus your attention on the work it's a really it's a really uh it's really helpful you know mm-hmm. and so now when I go into a job if I feel too relaxed, if I feel too like, then I sort of feel that there's something missing. There always has to be a little bit of something there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just now I'm sort of getting my, my head around that. And also, and critics, um, I don't think so. I think the only thing that I'm really concentrating on is, well, I don't know if you find this at all, but when you reach a certain point where the thing that you thought you were doing wasn't of value and suddenly you see it as something quite valuable and, and mm. um, important to yourself, just personally, yeah. then you kind of just want to bring that to every job you do. You want to elicit that feeling in every job because it makes sense of yourself and the world that you're looking out on and, you know, just makes everything a little bit, a little bit better. Um, so I, I think that's the thing that I'm really, that's my benchmark of mm. uh, tr- trying to attain that feeling of just going, am I bringing the thing to this project that is unique to me? Am I adding value to this project yeah. in some way? And um, if I am, then I, I'm sort of the happiest I can be really. You know, I also think critics, um, it's very different if you're in the theatre to if you're doing film and television, because sometimes you read critics for film and TV, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's gone. It's yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas when you read crit, crit, uh, reviews for when you're in the theatre, you've still got That's to hard. do it for the next six weeks. So yeah. I tend have to you found yourself in? Have you I tend to avoid them when I'm in the theatre, but then they yeah. plaster them up outside. The oh, <laughs> no. Well, there's always someone who tells you, you know. Yeah. And so then my question to you is: you can edit this out, but my question to you is then. What what's what is the what's the engine? What's what fuels the the next day and then the next day and then the next day and then the next, you know? Well, it- for me, and it sounds so sort of mushy and horrible, but it's because I love it. I mean, yeah, I lo- yeah. I love it. I mean, I love going to work. I love everything yeah. about it. I love other actors and being, and I love the creative process. So 
it feels a little bit like what you were saying when you were your youth theatre. That that's exactly what happened to me. Was the minute I walked through the door, I thought, "Oh, this is these are my people. This yeah. is my place. I want to yeah. be amongst this." And I think I think that every day I go to work and. Sometimes it's really hard and it's not what you were expecting and, you know, you have to negotiate it. But in the end, I sit there thinking, this is this is what I signed up for and sure. I love this and I yeah, want to yeah, do yeah. more of it and, you know, I want to challenge myself. Yeah. And, and what I look for in each role is something a little bit different, something that's challenging me, something that's, you know, going to push me uh, into a place I'm a bit frightened of. I like being frightened, you know, I like being, I like those nerves. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it means I care, but it also means that I've, you know, better get up early and do it. You know, it's the, yeah. it's it's all that, really. Well, you had a lot to do. I know this is about, you can edit this out, but I remember us sharing some, like, um, some cards back and talking about the arc of Sherwood and having so much to do and sort mm. of pinpointing those beats for yourself and everything. And it was just... Yeah, I suppose in those conversations and sharing that sort of that sort of travel back, it was just those are the conversations that are so um, helpful yeah. and should show you're a part of something, you know, part of something. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that is I something agree. about television, though, isn't it? Because we get, you know, on show it's a prime example. It's a six part drama. We get episodes one, two, maybe three a little bit later. Then four and five come in and then six. So you're having to plan your arc or your journey without all the information. Right. So yeah. whereas in a movie, like you were saying before about uh, Victoria and Abdul, you know the arc, you know, mm. it might change, but you have a finalised script where everybody goes to work, whereas on TV you don't. I mean, how so do you cope you with prefer? that? I was, was going to ask you, okay, yeah. how do I cope? Yeah, uh, I think I like to know the arc. I would like to know because if you – this is going to sound mushy and a bit silly. I've never said this before, but if you do treat it like a piece of music, then you need all the stuff that makes it a complete, you know, you need the bit, which is sort of slowly inviting the, the audience in. You need the you know, crescendo, whatever. You need the soft landing, you know, you need mm -hmm. people just to sort of feel looked after in the sort of the last third of whatever the arc is, you know. Um, so that's, that's really helpful. But I've also worked with people who only give you what you're supposed to get that that sort of day you know and um there's a certain level of frustration associated with that that i think is um really helpful for the piece on the whole because i think that's how people or how i feel mm -hmm. sometimes you know i just yeah, yeah. you know if you that's think like life that, isn't it sure so suddenly you're like Oh, I was I I had it nailed about a minute ago, and now you've just done this, and now I don't know where I am. And then, hopefully, somebody's pressing the record button on the camera while you're going through that process, you know. And there's something really um, wonderful seeing that back again on mm. yourself when you're going. I I thought that was going to be an insurmountable moment. I was not going to get over. I thought that was the most frustrated I ever could be in a situation. Then you look at yourself back again and go, Oh, it was just. Yeah. A process like everything else, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of like it all in a way. I mean, I do get frustrated sometimes on television when, you know, you're filming on Thursday and the script hasn't arrived and it's Tuesday. Yeah. Do you know, that that can get to me. And that, I've had that quite often and more so, I think, nowadays. So I do, and whenever a new whenever new pages are issued they always have a different color don't they so yeah, yeah, yeah. i hate that yeah. thing of like different colored pages coming at me all the time thinking, yeah. are we on the brown page or are we doing the purple page i have I no idea know you know, until you're there yeah 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 that can get a bit down but in yeah. the end it's all sort of keeps me on my toes mm. and i once did i did a two films with dominic savage who doesn't do doesn't have a script at all you know, I remember you mentioning this. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. as a process, I love that. You know, so yeah. it's you want to sort of do it all and dip your toe into it all. Before yeah. we leave, can you just tell yeah. me a little bit yeah. about Ali and Ava, though? Because right. it's a, I mean, I haven't seen it, but I'm so excited to see it because oh, uh, Clio Bernard is such a fantastic director and I love her stuff. So yeah. just tell me a little bit about the story and when we can see it and stuff. When's it out? So that's going to be out in February. 
February fourth, right. I think, sometime beginning bit of February, and uh, a little bit about it is so. Clive and I met when I was at Toronto Film Festival, and um, again a massive fan of hers. And mm. I just um, we had a couple of glasses of wine, and I just wanted to know. I wanted to be in her field of vision to the point where she she could only think about me for doing anything else. <laughs> so I was just like, trying to completely like be. I'm your guy for this next thing. Whatever you do, it doesn't doesn't matter. And then we met up again. We talk about processes that are sort of non-traditional and not sort of laid out. She, we met just down the road from where I live in Elephant Castle, and we just sat down and we started talking about um, this idea that she had for a film and how she'd like me to play one of the characters in this film, but there was no script written at that point. And then. Um, and then in the pub, I was like, well, why don't you just hot seat me? Because I know enough about the." And then that happened. And then I blink and we're sort of in a in a rehearsal room with not a script yet, but still a rough idea of a story. And she's busy sort of t- typing away. And and then we and then there was a sort of form of a script. And then when we started filming again, it was like we could use some of the script and lift some stuff off the page. So talking about. Um, it's you and wonderful Claire yeah. Rushbrook, isn't it? Claire Rushbrook, that's right, yeah. yeah. So talk about a process where you could sort of have it, or there's a little bit of a Mike Lee type thing in there where it's like rehearse, rehearse, rehearse before you find the, before you mm-hmm. find the words. And then there was a little bit of like a Ken Loachy thing, which is like now tr- you turn up on the day and you're like, try this, try this, you know. Yeah. And then, um, you know, it was like all that, but in that was like its own, its own, um, process Mm -hmm. it was like it was all of those things but specific to this film you know and then the the process of how the film was made was almost like informed the film in Mm -hmm. a way you know there was kind of Clyde talks about it it's like you have like auto fiction or whatever but she describes it as sort of bio fiction you know this thing of going there's true things that anchor the script down but there's a certain sort of cinematic poeticism around it that lifts it maybe and yeah. I mean I could talk for ages for I, know well, I can't wait down, to maybe we should yeah, meet yeah, up yeah, again yeah. after it's been I mean <laughs> I'd love to see it I mean Selfish Giants I thought was one of the great great films I've seen I think she's a wonderful wonderful filmmaker so she's amazing great. and just really quickly on her just sing her praises one more mm-hmm. time there was a moment and if this is any help for like demystifying the idea of acting and being, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, there's a moment there where um, maybe the first quarter of the film, she sits me down, she's like, um, okay, look at this scene. We looked at the scene, and I was, there's, a bit, there's a bit of a problem here. And I was like, oh, shit, oh, no. And I, and I looked at her as the director, and I was thinking, she's going to give me some direction here. So that's fine. I go, okay, so what do I do? And she looked at me, she's like, I don't know. So we're both we're both looking at each other. Well, what do I do? I don't know. Well, what do I do? I don't know. And um, but, but but the one thing that I didn't feel was again looping back to the idea of you know the Chris shouting behind the camera. The one thing that you didn't feel was alone in the process. You know, yeah. you felt like you were there with someone. So it, I mean, sort of de- in the vein of demystifying. You know, it's all just sort of problem solving in a way. But also I think it's really, I don't know is brilliant because when I was younger, I felt I had to know everything. I have to, I I always felt in my imposter syndrome and my charlatan sort of phase of thinking I shouldn't be here. Everybody else knows what's going on. I don't know what's going on. I thought I've got to know all the answers. I've got to know all the answers. I don't want to be caught out by someone turning around to me and asking me a question. I don't. And I got to the point you know, probably about 20, 25 years ago now, where I thought it's okay not to know. And it's okay mm. to tell people I don't know. Yes, you know, yes, it's it's yes. not always my job to know. Even my own character, people can ask me questions and I can say, I don't know. Why don't we just have a look and see? <laughs> Why don't we yeah, get it on yeah, the feet yeah. and have a try? But I haven't got all the answers. And that is fine. I mean, it's really, it was such a liberation to me to realize that I didn't have to have it all written in my book or written down or know all the answers. 
that there was lots of gray areas that I was very happy to go into and find out what they were when I got there. Yeah. And that's the most human thing. I think that's the most, that's, so you've got to be human first before you start on any of this stuff. And I think that's, and to hear that actually is just from, again, like talking about the Sherwood thing and the amount you had to do to hear that that is like a very, I don't know, calming thing <laughs> here in the music, you know, in amongst that, because that was, there was a lot there. So to approach that with that level of like, I don't know this is like, yeah, that's kind of ca- quite a calming thought for me. And sometimes the joy is watching people working it out. That is, that's mm. it. You know, it's great. Listen, mate, it's been such yeah. a joy to see you and to talk and to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I can't wait to meet up in person at some point, but uh, yeah, uh, I'll be, send you a mixtape. Send yeah. me some more music yeah, things. Sure. Yeah, yeah, we'd love that. Yeah, I'll send one back, definitely. definitely. Thanks, Adil. All right, David. Thank you. Bye. See you later. Bye. Who Am I This Time is a Just Voices and Dulali production. Produced by Simon Lennigan. Music by Greg Hatlock. Edited and mixed by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. And presented by me, David Morrissey. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.